Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. I am here today with Ryan Smith, and Ryan is from Bangor, Maine. He is a high school English teacher there in Maine, and I'm super excited to have Ryan because he is the husband of my very first guest, Kim Smith, who was on episode one. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me, Jen. So I'm really excited to have you because those of you that have been listening ever since the beginning, y'all heard Kim's story in episode one, and Ryan and Kim together have written a book. Tell us just a little bit about the book itself before we get into your intermittent fasting story. Okay. The book is called Unbelievable Freedom, How We Transformed Our Health and Happiness with Intermittent Fasting. We decided to write the book last summer because so many people had responded positively to our story and were interested in how 
not only how we lost the weight, but how we gained so much weight um, together in the first place. So we decided to tell that story and put it out into the world and have been really humbled by how uh, people have responded to it. Well, I've read read your story, of course, but a lot of listeners may not have read it yet. I would definitely encourage people to check it out because it's very inspiring reading the story of the two of you together. And it's told, you know, like Kim's point of view, and then it switches to your point of view, and then back and forth. And so it, it really is, is a great book, and I would encourage everyone to read it. But we'll assume that our listeners may not have read it as we talk about it today. So, would you explain a little bit of what brought you to intermittent fasting? And you can go as far back as you want in your story. Okay. With this one, I have I, I have sort of the classic story of someone who has struggled with his weight for almost my entire life. I usually say that around eight years old was the beginning of the end for me because that's when the family photos sort of transitioned from a skinny little kid to a kid with a growing gut, and I just gained weight from there. I've tried lots and lots of diets over the years and spent most of my childhood and teen years and young adulthood being overweight. I first heard about intermittent fasting probably five or six years ago. I read Dr. Bert Herring's uh, free book, uh, The Original Fast Five Diet. was very skeptical of it. I thought it sounded way too good to be true and, and way too difficult to do. Tried it for one day and gave up. Oh, wow. And, and forgot about it after that point. So I actually knew about it a little bit before uh, Kim did. She wasn't interested in it when I told her about it until she saw Delay, Don't Deny on Pinterest. And something about the cover of that book drew her to your book and the content just resonated with her. And when she started it, I decided to, to jump on board with it too and give it a real try. And it has just been the thing that I wish I had known about and wish I had, had done much earlier in my life. I think that's so interesting. You said you found it five or six years ago and you just weren't quite ready for it. And you tried it one day and it just didn't feel right. And you know, I, I first discovered Dr. Herring's book and intermittent fasting 2009. So it's been about 10 years. And I also, same thing. I tried it. I would go back and forth and it just felt hard. I don't know. What do you think made it shift from that first time you heard it five or six years ago and the first time it was, quote, you know, too hard to now when it's just not only did it click, but it became your lifestyle? What changed with you? I guess it does come down to just being in a place of being ready for it sort of in a psychological, emotional way. But I also think I had just learned a lot more about how the body is supposed to work and how the body is supposed to eat. I spent so many years buying into ideas that I now look at as crazy. I think about the the number of years I spent eating fat-free cheese. Oh, yeah. And I now think about fat-free cheese and wonder, how did I ever think that was a good idea? Like, it, it makes no sense to me. When I started fasting, I had I was coming off losing a lot of weight with like a paleo style diet. And I think that actually did make it easier for me because that was that got me off the sugar, you know, intense sugar that I was way over consuming. And so when I started fasting, I think it was just easier in a physical way. And I saw success faster and that reinforced um, sort of the psychological aspect of that. So I, I was just in a place where I was ready in all ways to, to embrace it. Yeah, that's a great point. And I bet you're right. I bet the fact that you had been paleo for a while probably did make the transition easier. You know, I talk about this in my book, Delay, Don't Deny, but 
all the times that I tried to, to go to intermittent fasting and couldn't really make it work for me. And then the time that it finally did was right after I had gone through a stretch of keto. And while I didn't lose any weight with keto and I didn't feel good eating that way, my body didn't like the foods I was eating um, on that plan. I think it may have helped my body become fat adapted so that when I went to intermittent fasting and introduced carbs back at the same time, I immediately started losing weight and I felt better and it felt so easy. And I do think that few months that I did keto, even though that didn't work for weight loss, it may have helped me with that transition. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, people have asked me about why it was easy for me. And I guess that is part of the story that the, my, my fasting transition was, was fairly easy. I, I mean, I think I had a few rough days, but I, I took to it pretty naturally. And I think some people have expressed some, some jealousy about that. They, they struggled more and, and wonder why that is. When I think about my eating at my worst, I don't think I could have done it. Right. I think that's why my first experiment with it ended so miserably. I mean, I was eating so badly and relying on food for not just food, but relying on it for everything. I mean, it was my entertainment and it was how I spent my days and how I structured all my time. And to go from that and, and wipe it out completely for such a prolonged period of the day was just you know ludicrous to me at the time. Like that, that just was not doable. But when I was doing paleo, I was already conditioned to go longer without eating. I wasn't eating constantly. My eating was not so dysfunctional at that time. So the fasting was just different for sure, but, but far easier. Yeah. One of the strategies I actually have in Delay Don't Deny that I think a lot of people may skip over or not, not feel, it may not resonate with them and they forget about it. Like they think they have to go straight to, you know, a five-hour window, right? right. But you can actually start. I, have you heard me talk about the carbohydrate addicts diet or oh, have yes. you ever come across? Yeah. So <laughs> that was a diet plan that I read back in the day. I think they were on Oprah. And then, mm -hmm. you know, anybody that was on Oprah, I would like run right out and get their book along with the rest of America, right? Yes. <laughs> and their plan was eat low-carb breakfast, low-carb lunch, and then a, quote, reward meal in an hour. They were very clear that it needed to be within an hour to prevent, you know, constant insulin spikes. They wanted it to, all that, that big insulin release to be within that hour. And um, that was the diet that they proposed that you do. But interestingly, when you read the original Carbohydrate Addicts Diet, she was eating one meal a day. She wasn't eating the low-carb meals. But I actually have that in as a strategy for people who are hoping to adjust to intermittent fasting you know, try doing it carbohydrate addict style at first, low carb breakfast, low carb lunch, and then eat, you know, whatever you want within your evening meal. And then eventually you can start skipping that breakfast and then push back that lunch. And then before you know it, you have an eating window. You know, a lot of us want to go straight to people are like, I'm starting today and I'm going to have a one hour window. Right. And that, and that, that may be not be very difficult for most people to do. Right. And then when it's hard, they're like, oh, I just can't do this. But really, you don't have to do it from from day one. Right. Right. And I think the body figures things out and helps us more than people ever realize. Like we, we've been sold this bill of goods, I think, in our society that if you just read the right book and you figure out the right set of rules, then that's what will do it. And it's in defiance of common sense and it's in defiance of intuition, but that's, that's what we believe. And we see it all the time with people who interact with us about this, where you know, people obsess about whether they ate three nuts or four. And when you step back from that and realize any plan that tells you to count something like that, 
is not natural. It's not like we see an animal in the wild ever, you know, contemplating whether they ate too much. You know, they, exactly. they, they know how to do it. And intermittent fasting, I think, gives us the opportunity to get in touch with the way it was supposed to be. Like, right. I, I feel like the way I eat now, while it's not perfect and I still get into head games occasionally with myself, I feel like I now can eat the way I was always supposed to. And I can actually imagine what it would have been like if I had never gained the weight in the first place. So what kind of head games do you still play? Because I want to get into that because people think, you know, they watch me and you and Kim and people who are, you know, at or near our goal weight, who have been doing it for a long time, and they think that we don't ever struggle, that we don't play these head games. But, you know, even I do sometimes, right? So mm. what, what do you mean by that? Well, I think it's just, it's very difficult to struggle with something for as long as some of us have struggled with weight. And then to say, I have figured it out and now I have the answer. I mean, I have told people I figured it out and had the answer at least twice in my life. Right. Uh, and turned out to be wrong. So that's one of the head games I play. As much as I believe in intermittent fasting, I do know that I could regain the weight. Like, I do know that. Uh, if I started eating all day and started eating certain kinds of foods again, I could easily gain that weight again. I do know that to be true. I don't believe I ever will as long as I, as I clean fast for you know, 19 or so hours a day and, and eat uh, with common sense in my window. I don't believe I ever will gain the weight. But there's still a voice in my head that tells me, be careful, you know, be mindful. Don't get too cocky uh, about what you're doing. Occasionally, you know, I, I will eat too much in my window or what I perceive as too much and, and second guess it. I sometimes still have what I call, you know, restaurant regret where you go out and, and order something and then afterwards think, well, that probably wasn't the best choice and did that set me back? So I do have those voices in my head sometimes and I, and I ignore them for the most part. And it's not like it was. I, I think I have definitely reached a place of confidence around how I eat and how I live. But I also know that it's, it's there and people struggle with it. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that both of those are really good really good points. And I'm glad that you mentioned it because other people can say, oh, I feel the same way. You know, they, you're still struggling with those same thoughts. And you know what? Me too. <laughs> I also had those years of yo-yoing where I would start and stop things. But you're right. We can't, and, and we don't want to go back to our old way. Right. If we did stop, you know, we hear that in the Facebook group sometimes. People are like, well, I talked to my friend and she said that I shouldn't do this because if I ever stop, I'll gain all the weight back. And, you know, we want to just say your friend is correct (laughs) (laughs) because intermittent fasting is not something you start, do it till you get to your goal weight, and then go back to your old way. And ultimately, it's a diet thinking thing that is really hard to shake because people want to believe that there is a magical way to deal with food and weight. And and I have described fasting as, as pretty magical, but I don't mean that in the literal way that some people are looking for. You still need to use common sense. You know, people will sometimes say, well, you know, if I eat pizza and drink beer and eat a bag of candy every night, as long as I do that in in three or four hours, uh, I should lose weight, right? And maybe some people can do that and it would work, but it just doesn't seem like the right way to eat. It seems like that's probably not the healthiest approach, even if it works in terms of pounds. So I, I think there's still a need to be thoughtful and to, to think about the food you're eating and how it makes you feel and not make it about diet stuff like numbers and pounds on a scale and, and that sort of thing. And that's hard because we're not really conditioned to trust ourselves. 
That's we're, exactly we're con- true. conditioned to trust, you know, the guest on the talk show, right? And the set of the set of rules. Yeah, I think that's right, Ryan, because we are so used to a diet plan that tells us exactly what to eat, like literally like day one, here's your menu. Right. Here's the suggested recipes. Here's the the plan in the back. And, you know, I remember when I first wrote my book, I was talking to the um, the manager of the local Barnes & Noble who reached out to me and wanted me to have a book signing, which I never did have there. But we were talking and he's like, well, you know, your second book can be a, a recipe guide with menus for, mm-hmm. for your plan. I'm like, no, you don't get it. Right. <laughs> because it is all about finding out what works for you. And, you know, you mentioned the person who asks, can I start with pizza and chips and beer? And I think a lot of us start that way. You know, you were coming from paleo. I was coming from keto. And so I was like super excited to add those things back. And so at first, I really probably did add back a lot of those things because we're so used to denying ourselves that we're like, wow, I'm just going to eat all these things I couldn't eat before. And that happens at first for a lot of people. But then over time, we realize, ugh, I felt awful after I ate that. That's right. I think that is what I'm talking about when I say it was easier for me in some ways, because I was eating food that was, I think, pretty healthy. and And I liked it. And when I started fasting, I intended to keep that up for the most part. I mean, a major motivator to do the fasting was that Kim and I had never eaten the same way, especially when, when we were in a thinner and healthier place. You know, I was always doing something that was restricting something and she was often not on board with that. So we were making these meals that were these Frankenstein meals that were cobbled together where she would eat parts of it and I would eat other parts of it. When we started doing this, part of the appeal was that I could, I could eat the same things that she was eating. But even then I was saying, well, I'll eat what you're eating for the main meal, but I'm going to keep my snacks low carb because I'm still, you know, semi-dedicated to paleo. And then after I did it for a while, I started to bring more things in. And once I did that and I realized, oh, the, the world didn't end, I, I didn't gain 100 pounds overnight, then that just became more comfortable and relaxed. And, and now I will, I pretty much eat anything. Like, there's nothing that is uh, on my forbidden foods list at this point. That's wonderful to hear because I think that's how we're meant to live life. You know, I don't have things on my forbidden food list, although there are things that I choose to not eat very often because of the way they make me feel. Are there any foods like that for you that you could have them if you wanted to, but you just probably don't because of how you feel? Um, I guess some forms of carbs are still in that camp for me. I will eat pasta. I guess if there's any food that still gives me pause, it's bread and pasta, mostly because I find it so easy to eat excessive amounts of it. It hasn't really set me back, but I'm a person, if I eat two slices of bread, I could eat the whole loaf and and do that before I even noticed I was doing it. And I think sometimes those foods set me up a little bit. Like I'll, I'll eat a lot of those and then the next day I feel a little washed out. I feel a little hungrier than usual and I don't really like that. But right. but it's very liberating to know that if, if I'm in a restaurant and the pasta dish looks good, I can eat it. Uh, or if I'm at someone's house and that's what they're serving, I don't have to push it around my plate and try to fake it. So yeah, I, I've noticed that. But luckily for me, I have always loved almost everything and 
almost everything agrees with me. So eat it, doing this kind of lifestyle is awesome for me because it's like a party every day. I can eat whatever I want. It really is. It's like every day is a special occasion where we can have what we want and what's delicious. Right. And so now you and Kim are eating the same foods. And what have the two of you discovered together about the way that your meals are structured or how it feels to be eating together, that sort of thing? It has been awesome because we had, I mean, that had been a theme for our marriage for so long that we were always struggling to figure out what to eat, uh, who's going to cook it, let's figure it out. It was, it was just a struggle all the time to figure out what meals to eat. When we started fasting, Kim discovered the meal kits, the plated and, and home chef, those kinds of things, and wanted to try those. And that was a major selling point for me getting on board with it was that we could order these meals, we could eat the same things, we wouldn't have leftovers because we wouldn't be needing them anymore. And so we started eating like that. And those meals are perfect because they're they're sort of balanced. You know, you can't, you don't struggle with what to do with the leftover stuff. And it gave us a chance to try some things we hadn't tried before and cook and sort of learn to cook in different ways. So that was a real, a real eye opener. That's, that's been great. And we've continued to do that for the entire process. Yeah, I love those too. I um, there's several companies I rotate between, or I actually get like three different companies most weeks: two from one, two from one, two from the other, and then one night we figure something out. But I love all the reasons that you you said that you love it. Those are the reasons I love it too. I've tried things I used to not eat. Like, right. have you discovered some foods that you love that you didn't know you liked? Uh, not me so much. I mean, I, I for a long time I've liked vegetables. I've liked vegetarian style food. I've liked meat, but I, I've discovered new ways to prepare things. I think roasting vegetables has been something that's that's new. Like I didn't know that was a thing. I grew up in a household that boiled everything. Oh yeah, um, mine too. And put margarine on things. And you know, that was sort of the classic lifestyle for someone of, of my age bracket is that's how you cooked and that's that's how you ate. So we've discovered some ways to cook things that I think are are new. I've discovered fish a little bit more. I, I do like fish more than I ever thought I did. But really, it's been more of a, a change for Kim. I think she, her taste has changed. Like She's unrecognizable to me in terms of what she eats now. There are things that she eats that she never would have touched before. And I, and I know it's about fasting. It's, it's kind of restored her taste buds to how they should be, you know, cleared out all the junk so that she could appreciate how things really taste. Yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it because that's exactly what happened with me to the point that, like, I can't stand, you know, bottled salad dressing, for example, even, you know, organic bottled salad dressing. It just has that kind of a, uh, you know, right. <laughs> you know, kind of fake taste to it. Yes. That's how and I and you're right. That's how I feel about flavored coffee. Oh, no, right. I, yeah. I was a, oh. a classic flavored coffee, not creamer. I drank it black, but I, I was very drawn in by the fancy flavors. You know, if you called it mocha mudslide or something, I wanted it. Like I, I thought that was great. And I, at very first of the fasting journey, I wanted to continue drinking that. I wasn't completely sold on how I should give that up. And I did and, and just started drinking regular plain black coffee. And now when I, when I drink a flavored coffee, which is very rare, I, it just tastes weird. It tastes yeah. so fake. And I, and I didn't really feel that way before. I would really love to know this. I mean, I don't know the science behind it. I'm just wondering out loud here, like, really, how does it change our taste buds? Because it, it clearly has changed mine. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in that. But you're right. You taste that fakeness in there. Mm. You know, my favorite latte from um, the America's favorite coffee chain, I used to like the the gingerbread latte. And I remember the first Christmas 
that I tried to have one. It came back around and I'm like, I'm going to have my windows open. I'm going to have a gingerbread latte. And it tasted like, I swear I've described it as rat poison. I know. I was like, have they changed this? <laughs> it, it was disappointing to me the first time that happened because I had, I had loved them so much. Like, and that was part of my ritual. I would go to, to work and I would spin the little K-cup carousel and figure right. out what, what flavor I was going to walk around drinking. And then when I did walk around in the morning and stopped into different classrooms or went down to the office or whatever, people would comment about the smell of that coffee. And I would, I would say, Oh, this is caramel delight or, you know, whatever silly name they gave it. And that was just part of my coffee drinking ritual. And when it, when it went away, I was a little sad for a minute. I have to, right. I have to admit, I liked that process of picking the flavor. I even liked the, the colors on the label, but now it, that's just gone away because black coffee tastes right. It tastes like, it tastes like a real food to me and, and anything with the flavoring tastes fake and, and weird. I, you know, I do appreciate that during the window, if I want to drink that, I, I can, and it doesn't seem to have any kind of detrimental effect, but I just, I don't want to anymore. Yeah. I think that's important. You can in your window, but you don't want to. That's right. where the power is. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face -face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So, you know, you just talked about the fact you're at school, you're a teacher. How does your day look with intermittent fasting and how do you structure that around your work day? It's actually a lot easier, I think. I, I had 20 minutes to eat lunch when I did eat lunch. Our school is divided up into departments and each department has a conference room uh, where people tended to gather to eat lunch. And there was usually 
five to six or seven people like lining up to hit the microwave and try to get oh, yeah. try to get a meal in and you know go to the bathroom and maybe make a photocopy or something all in 20 minutes uh, it was kind of nutty so it plus I, I hated packing things and figuring out what do I take to lunch and how much extra do we need to make so I can put it in a glass bowl and, and take it to work and then bring that dirty dish home and all that stuff. So I, I thought it would be liberating and it, and it was. I now get to that 20 minutes and sometimes I just sit and appreciate the silence while my students go to lunch and I don't eat anything and it's great. Other times I go to the, the conference room and, and have some social time and talk to people, but I don't, I don't have to compete for that microwave anymore. Oh, I love that. I could, as a teacher, you know, I'm a retired teacher mm-hmm. and I, that made me chuckle because you would like race to get there. I mm-hmm. remember. And if someone had put like a, one of those meals that takes like six minutes, you know what nice. I mean? And you're like literally like staring at that. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> and you're I like don't think, angry at that six minute meal. <laughs> right. I don't think non-teachers sometimes know like how, how little time you really have to take care of your, your personal functions in business and it's um, true and you would I can remember like sometimes being tempted to let my let my let my kids go like 30 seconds early so I could get down there and get my food in the microwave first um, yeah I would it. like walk by the workroom had my kids wait because we had to walk them to lunch because elementary but then I would go in throw my meal in and then take them to lunch yes <laughs> so I could get in the line of them I get it but one thing about Georgia we have a 30-minute duty-free lunch that's protected by state law, so that's good. That's awesome. I, 20 minutes is even worse. 30 yes. was hard. 20 is awful. But you mentioned that you'll sit and visit with your colleagues. Did you get any pushback from colleagues about intermittent fasting? Um, not any negative pushback. I mean, a lot of people, I think, were aware. Well, they were very aware. I mean, they had seen me a certain size when I started at that job, and they you know, saw me get larger, significantly larger in that time, and they saw me shrink all the way down 120 pounds. At the time that I started fasting, I had regained about 40, which I assume people noticed, although nobody ever talks about it. So when I started fasting and the weight started coming off again, people would be complimentary and certainly noticed I was doing something. Uh, The first day I didn't eat at lunch. Well, I mean, it might have been the second day, first or second day, someone felt sorry for me and tried to feed me because they they assumed I had forgotten my, my food. And I just said, uh, no, I'm doing a thing. I, I didn't want to get into it, so I just said, I'm doing a thing. I think that was all it took. People just were used to me doing <laughs> We all had our um, things, right? right? <laughs> People just assumed, okay, he's, he's up to something nutty, and, and he'll be eating tomorrow. <laughs> and I just, no one ever mentioned it again. And at first, I was, I was pretty quiet about it. I didn't loudly proclaim what I was doing. I think I was always that way at the start of any new diet. I never dared to say, oh, I'm doing this because what if it didn't work? And as, as I had more success, people asked more questions and I, I would answer them. But I, I, I didn't, you know, loudly trumpet what I was doing. I was surprised that people didn't care. Like, I, I think I've always assumed people are noticing and caring about what other people do more than they actually are. And I don't think it really blew people's minds all that much when I said, well, I'm just not eating until later in the day. I think that's important. And so many people that, that struggle with, with pushback from people, I think they bring that on themselves in a way of, of the fact that they think people, like they, they feel defensive about it. I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, but they like explain it in a defensive way. And then they feel like everybody's judging them when really maybe everybody isn't as much as people think they are. Right. No, right. Nobody people, cares. That's, right. that's what it comes down to, I think. Nobody really cares. I think people get upset if they feel 
you are pushing it on them or if they feel, right. they feel judged. But most people are just going about their business and doing what they do. And it's when they see results that that's what sometimes will trigger people to ask questions and maybe try something themselves. But, but yeah, it, it certainly didn't create the waves that I thought that it would. Right. And even if people do, you know, care and, and try to talk you out of it, that's their issue, not yours. Right. You know, I think that's important for us to understand. One thing that's been really exciting is watching intermittent fasting take off in, in the world. And um, I wrote a blog post recently about 2019 is the year that intermittent fasting is mainstream. And I genuinely believe that's true. There have been, you know, just since 2019 started every day, somebody's like, oh, I was watching Entertainment Tonight and they had a segment on intermittent fasting or, oh, I was watching Good Morning America and they had a segment on intermittent fasting. And so it's out there. So instead of feeling like people have no idea what we're doing, we could say, hey, guess what? It's out there. (laughs) People are doing it. It's on the news. It's everywhere. And it was actually... um, in a survey that a certain, I can't remember the name of the of the, the group that does it, it's some kind of food group, but a survey they did in 2018, intermittent fasting was the number one self-reported strategy that dieters were using to try to lose weight. Wow. I mean, I think that's so important. It was number one. I think paleo was number two. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, what does worry me about that? I, I think it's great that more people know about it. What I'm waiting to see is if it will somehow be different than the way our society usually works. We, we are so fickle and there, there's this tendency to get excited about something and then, you know, one journal article comes out and we, we shift our attention. And so uh, that's what I'm waiting to see. If, if the word can get out enough and enough people can say, look what I've done and how long this has worked for me, that all the stars will align. You know, the, the people that are having success, the science to back it up, the longevity that we can finally stop with with all the, the crazy-making diets. And I think that that's our job. Those of us on the, the, on the front lines that are doing it, that are writing about it, that are talking about it, our job is to make sure that we tell everyone that, that we see. I mean, I'm talking to all of you, thousands of people listening to this podcast. This is our job to make sure everyone understands, for example, the clean fast. You know, if you've got a friend who thinks they're doing intermittent fasting and instead they're having, you know, coffee with cream all morning and they're drinking diet sodas and they're finding it to be really hard and they're not losing any weight, we know why they're not having success. So we can just gently say, hey, here's something you may want to read about that. You know, if you would just make the switch to black coffee, you would find it would change everything. So the more of us that understand how to make it work better for us, I think the the more likely we are to have more people embracing it, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I think the word that popped out to me was gently because right. people have, it surprises me sometimes how much people have emotional baggage and, and connections around certain rituals like their coffee and their, right. their soda. And what I tell people who come to me, because I've had a lot of people like colleagues and and people in my, just my regular life who will approach me and say, well, I'm all on board with this and I can go 19 hours or 20 hours, but just can't give up the cream in my coffee. And I, I usually say, well, yet, you know, maybe you're not quite ready, but this is why it might be a good idea. And this is why, you know, people recommend clean fasting. But if you're not ready, you know, doing the fast with the cream is a great first step. And when you're ready, you'll do more. And most people right. seem to be okay with that. 
And in fact, some of those people will come back like the next day and say, okay, I drank my first cup of black coffee. But I, but I know if I said to that person, oh, come on, you know, stop being such a baby, you know, give up that coffee or give up that creamer, that triggers a defensiveness. It's true. And it triggers yeah. a panic, you know, like, oh my God, right. I'm giving up so much already. Now I have to give up my coffee. So I, yeah. I think some people just need to take it take it step by step. And, and most people do arrive at, at a place of, of recognizing that clean fasting is the way to go. Because you just feel so much better. And I really, really think that so much of the struggle I had before was because of those little things I thought I was still fasting and I wasn't. Right. And, and you, know, you eliminate those things and it becomes suddenly so much easier. Right. So much easier. And, and that's, that's what people eventually figure out for themselves. Right. I think people don't appreciate how much they're enslaved by some of those rituals, how, how, how much time they spend figuring out how to get that creamer or like plotting yeah. and scheming how to make all that work. I mean, I was not a coffee drinker at all until, I don't know, age 32 or 33 or something. And it was one of those things I thought I would like the ritual of coffee. So eventually I learned to drink it. But when I started drinking coffee, I decided I'm going to drink black because I don't want to have to buy anything else. I don't want to have to, I, I don't want to be someplace and realize, oh, I can't drink coffee right now because I don't have cream. So I, I drank it black always. And that really worked for me, you know, for, for the fasting. But some people just, it's so consuming and it's such a big part of their day that it, yeah, it, it's it really too frightening is. to drop it immediately. But you'll find new rituals, you know, right. and that's the thing. Find something else. Like for me now, I would have thought I was crazy if you'd asked me this in the past, but I drink black coffee in the morning and then now it's winter time. So in the afternoon, I still want to have a hot beverage, but I don't like tea. There's no tea that I like, and I can't have all the ones I used to drink that were like, you know, sweet. Those are the ones I liked. So I um, I drink hot water. It's, it, that's a new ritual. Yeah. I have thought about trying that. I have a colleague uh, who is in the room next to me who also helps us moderate our group. And she has been telling me lately, I, I, I've expressed that, oh, I think I'm drinking a little too much coffee. I'm getting a little jittery in the mid-afternoon. And, and she has started drinking hot water inspired by you. And, yeah. I, and I feel like, oh, I don't know about that. Like that, It sounds nuts. It, it just sounds a little weird. But, <laughs> but then I think, well, you know, there was a time when I thought all of this sounded weird and, and recognize that it's not. So I, I probably will give it's that a try. It's just so good. Yeah, I just it's need just no soothing. Yeah, it's a ritual. Yeah. During the day, the school day in particular, it's so segmented. Like, you know, you do this for an hour, then a bell rings, and right. you do something else, and then a bell rings, and you do something else. That There's something about ducking into a room and getting a hot something that really works for me. And right now, it's, it's black coffee, but the, the hot water thing might be a good substitute. Yeah, I had a little... Well, I also had a sink in my classroom because I was in elementary school, but I had a little hot pot, one of those mm-hmm. little things you might have used in college in the dorm, and I would just heat up my hot water in that and just have a cup of hot water. And now I have, um, I'm at home, I'm not working outside of the home, so I have one of those instant hot that's by your sink. Right. And so I just pour myself a cup and just boom, there it is. It's awesome. Okay. You've convinced me. I'm going to try that. Try it. I can't wait to hear what you think. <laughs> not everyone loves it, but most people are like, I can't believe it. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before. 
where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. All right. I want to go back to your weight and talk about that for a minute. Because when we were talking, you had initially lost 120 pounds and with paleo at that time, right? Right. And then you regained 40. So since you you implemented intermittent fasting, what's happened since then? How has your weight changed and how has your body changed? Even, you know, differently from distinctly from the, the fat loss, whatever. Talk about that. Okay. This is actually the best part. and the, the, I, know, the part, I knew it was coming. The yeah. part that I get most excited about because I would not have believed it at one point in my life. But now I know it's true and it's the thing I always talk about the most if I get the opportunity to. I reached a high of 278 around 2001. I lost all that weight. I lost 120 pounds by eating vegetarian. Gained it all back and then lost 120 again with the paleo. When I look at pictures of myself at those two points, I look pretty similar. Then I took the 40 pounds off of, of regain, which I do know if I hadn't discovered fasting, I feel this way now. If, if Kim hadn't, if she hadn't seen that book on Pinterest and, and found you, I would have regained it all. I'm pretty confident that I would have done that. After losing the 40, I'm about the same weight I was at the other two low points, but my body does continue to change in ways that I never thought it could. My face is leaner. I can see a jaw. I can see collarbones. Uh, I, I have muscles that I didn't know I could have. And in earlier phases of my life, I actually did the whole like lift heavy weights thing. You know, I was much more focused on, on working out in a traditional way and did not build any muscle that was noticeable. And now I have, I can see that. I can see abs. They're not flawless, but I can see them. The holy grail, right? Yeah. The abs. Right. It, yeah. And it is exciting, you know, to see that. Oh, yeah. And to realize that it, what, it, what I feel like it does for me is it, it gives me a sense that if, and, and maybe this is pointless thinking, but I sometimes think if I could get in some kind of magic time machine and go back and catch that eight-year-old and, and teach him how to eat differently. Not that I'm recommending fasting for eight-year-olds necessarily. But, right. But if I could have intervened and taught him how to eat and become an adult who knew how to eat this way, I'm now getting a glimpse of what my body might have been, like what nature intended it to be. And that's quite a thrill for me. Like I did not think that would ever happen. And I think people, that's the number one selling point that I've been able to make to people who have asked me about it. Because I can say, I weigh 
this. Like I weigh around 165 to 168 now. And I don't think that's important. I don't think the number is important. But it, people will say to me, well, you don't look like you weigh that. I don't know what that means exactly. But they, <laughs> they, they perceive that as being heavier than I look. I don't know what that means. Uh, but they also will look at pictures of my earlier phases and say, well, you look really different. Like you must weigh significantly less now than you did then. And I'm like, no, I actually weigh about the same, but I look really different. Yeah. That's the body recomposition that we talk about. And it actually causes a lot of people to have angst, the people that are really caught up in actually what the scale says. Like if you thought you needed to weigh a certain number on the scale and you never can get there, you know, like if let's say you had decided your goal weight was 155. Right. You could be like sitting here at 165 feeling like a failure. Yes. Because you never saw 155. Right. But your body is different now at 165 than it would have been in the past at 155, right? Right. You're leaner, you're more muscular. Right. I think the the scales are it's the worst. Like it's the worst. I, I wish we could, as much as I want people to just stop buying diet books, like traditional diet books, and let's just stop making so many of those. I wish we could get away from the scale. And, and I don't claim to be perfect about that. I still get on the scale once in a while I, just to see what's going on. But I'm much more focused on, you know, how did my pants button? Um, right. You know, what size shirt am I wearing? Uh, can I wear a smaller shirt and get away with it? You know, that that is much more important to me. But I, I think people are so messed up about those numbers. I have uh, I have a colleague uh, that I that I commute to work with, who has always been a thin man, and there was this time I used to joke that when we were walking down the hallway together, we probably looked like the number ten because he was really thin and I was really round. And then I lost all this weight, and now I think we look the same. Like, and I've asked people, "Do you think we look similar? Like, are, are we similar size?" And people will always say yes. I, but I weigh thirty pounds more than him, and there are people who would think. Well, if you weigh 30 more pounds than him, then you probably have 30 pounds to lose, right? Right. Because like a medical chart might say, and in fact, medical charts do say, like insurance tables and those kinds of things will say that I should weigh like 135. And it's like, I cannot wow. lose 35 pounds at this yeah. point, you know, unless I hacked off a limb. Like that, that's just not going <laughs> to happen. And, and why does it matter anyway? Like if I am healthy and I'm wearing the clothes that I want to wear and I'm lean, Right. And what difference does it make if the scale said 200? Well, and that's the thing. You know, we've heard of like elite athletes who are on the BMI scale. They're obese. Right. But they're elite athletes and they don't have fat to spare, but they have all that muscle. Yes. So, you know, people always joke about, you know, the whole thought of muscle weighs more than fat. And then people are like, no, it doesn't. A pound of muscle weighs the same as a pound of fat. And like, well, yes, yes. But the density of muscle and fat are different. So per volume, <laughs> you know, muscle takes up less space pound for pound. So, you know, your body composition makes a difference whether you have, a you know, if you had 30 extra pounds of fat, we would see that. Right. But 30 extra pounds of muscle is going to take up a whole lot less space. Right. And that's where the head games yes. come back into it. Because, yeah. you know, I earlier in the, in the fasting journey, when I, I probably bottomed out in terms of weight around 162 or, or something. And, and at the beginning, when I was trying to, to lose weight, I did pay attention to the scale much more. And I remember when it started to climb a little bit. I, even though in my head I knew, like, this is probably because you're gaining muscle. Like, you're, you're doing yoga, you're eating right. I believe that fasting promotes 
human growth hormone and right, that, it does. That, I, that I'm growing muscle. And of course, you're going to gain weight. But the, the phrase gaining weight, unless you're talking about bodybuilding or something, has become such a dirty word. The idea of gaining weight for most people is just terrifying. So that didn't, that was something that messed with my head too. Like I knew that I was probably getting a, a higher number on the scale because good things were happening, but there was still a, a little urge to like, well, you better keep your eye on this. Like what if, what if that's fat? Even though in my listen, head, I knew that wasn't true. Listen to this crazy story. When I was trying to get to my goal weight, this was back in 2015. And I really wanted to see 135 on the scale. That was like this magic number that I thought if I could just see 135 on the scale, my life would be, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Right. Right. So um, I was trying to get to that weight. I actually stopped doing any kind of exercise because I was like, well, I don't want to build any muscle. Right. It might weight me way more. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. I was like, no, I can't, I can't do that because it might make me weigh more and then I won't see 135. <laughs> that's one reason I threw my scale away because that's, you know, we talked about those, those head games that we play with ourselves and the scale made me play them. You know, I've just started Pilates, which I'd never done before. I didn't, didn't really have, you know, quote, time to exercise as a teacher. I couldn't fit it in my day with as being a mother and then coming home and raising a family. So I just didn't exercise. But now that I'm retired from teaching, I was like, I, got, I need to do something. So I'm just loving Pilates. Right. And I'm, I can really, I was looking at my calves this morning and I was like, wow, you know, I'm getting some definition in my calves. That's right. pretty amazing. So, you know, my weight might be quote going up. Right. And that's what I love about about yoga too, because I feel like Pilates and yoga are pretty similar. They're, they're related. It seems to me like that is a, a natural thing to do. Like I, people will sometimes say, well, what are you doing to work out? And it's like, well, I don't really work out. I have in my life done that. I've jumped around to videos and, and if people think those are fun, I think they should totally do oh, yeah. that. It was never fun. I hated every second of it, jumping and round and trying to do some pseudo dance steps. I, I just hated every second of that. But I thought I had to. I thought I had to do that. And now I do yoga and I walk a lot. And when I say that's all I do, people sometimes question that. Like, really? Like, how can how can you lose a bunch of weight unless you are going into your cardio zone for X minutes right. per day? And, and I've now just started to think, well, you know, I, I'm trying to take a lot of inspiration from animals because you never see a fit animal jazzercising. You know, you, <laughs> the animals don't overthink it. That's true. You know, they yeah. stretch and they, yeah. and they move and occasionally something scares them or motivates them. So they run around a little bit and they're, right. and they're perfectly healthy. And, yeah. and that's, that's what I'm striving <laughs> to do is to get out of the headspace and, and like let some of that, you know, and I know it's a process and I'll probably always have some nagging little voices, but I want to get rid of that. I want to, and I think the longer I do this, the more those voices will fade. I want to live more like an animal. I and, love it. Yeah. I, I want to see them, you know, all those a pack of lions doing some jazz or stuff. Well, it's funny you mentioned lions because I've been I've been saying lately I need to I need to embrace lion as my as my spirit animal because I think oh. I think lions have it figured out. They, yeah, they I like to be like I have, I'm a cat person, right. so I'm, yeah, yeah. They chill out, you know, they relax, yeah. but occasionally they run, they stretch, they eat when they're hungry, they don't when they don't. You know, it's I I think that you know we can probably draw a lot of inspiration from from just watching the natural world and recognizing that fasting is natural. Yeah, it really it, is. Even if it sounds completely unnatural when you first hear about it, because we think it's unnatural because, you know, companies and society have convinced us that products are more natural, which is See, so crazy. That, 
products. You know, we, we have been convinced that the products are where the answer lies. Right. Right. And now they have products that you have to take before you work out and after you work out. They're probably going to have some soon that you're supposed to take while you're working probably, out. I don't know. Right. We have pre-workouts, post-workouts. Right. And then, <laughs> take a workout break and eat this now. You yes. know. And it's funny, but it also, it makes me really angry. You know, I just, right. I think about how many stupid things I did all with great intentions. You know, I think everybody has good intentions, you know, when they get to Sunday and they run out to to buy the fat-free cottage cheese or the, you know, whatever, the the pseudo butter, pseudo cheese. It's like everybody's trying to do the right thing. Everybody yeah. wants the same thing, which is to be healthier. And even people who are fixated on the scale, I think when it really comes down to it, they just want to be healthier and, and happier. And, and, and feel good in their own body. Right. And we rely on people to help us do that. And, and I think a lot of the people out there who are writing books or putting information out there. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about money and it's not about health. And that's, that's what's really different about fasting for me is that it, it doesn't require any money. It doesn't, it doesn't require any, you don't have to go out and buy a notebook and write down a bunch of stuff. So if you like to, you can, Um, you you don't have to keep track of anything. You don't have to buy special clothes. You don't have to buy special food. You just have to know what time it is. And find the answers inside yourself instead of someone else telling you how to do it. Like there's there's something on Facebook I've seen where you can like pay, I don't know, $49. I don't know how much it is. And they will tell you your intermittent fasting plan. <laughs> I feel like how, they don't know your intermittent fasting plan. You don't even know it yet till right. you try and figure it out, right. you know? But people just aren't ready to do it, you know, that, or some people aren't ready to do that. When they, when I get, someone asks me a question like, well, what do you eat? And, it's, and I want to say, well, what does it matter? Right. What I well, eat. what you eat might not be what works well for them. Right. But I know why they're asking because I've asked the question. Right. And I've been yeah. in that place where if I said, you know, I'm sure if we were having this conversation, you know, five, six years ago, my first question to you would have been, well, what do you eat? Right. And if you had said, well, you need to eat what agrees with you and what works with your body, I would have thought, she's crazy. I'm going to go find somebody. <laughs> I'm going to go find somebody who will tell me what to go buy today yeah. and what order to eat it. Exactly. And, yeah, and, that, right. and that's what I needed at the time. And so I know that's what people are, are looking for. And that even, even while it's frustrating, I get it. Yeah. I have been there. We, we don't trust ourselves. We want someone else to tell us exactly what to do. Right. So I want to shift gears for a second. And besides the weight loss, could you tell us about your health changes? What, what else has changed for you? Uh, quite a bit. I was on, I think, a, a fast track to a lot of health problems. There's heart disease in my family, there's diabetes in my family, and I, I was always aware of that. And when I reached adulthood and was and was approaching, you know, I, I like to think I was approaching 300 pounds. I think the highest was around maybe 280 or so. I, I was really concerned about all of that. I eventually became convinced that I was diabetic. I, I believed that I was, and I, I lived in fear of that. In 2001, I, I was diagnosed as diabetic. I had a, a, a blood sugar reading of 300 and was put on meds. Um, that's what triggered the the vegetarian phase when I, I lost 120 pounds the first time. I turned that right around, and I had high blood sugar again when I decided to do paleo. So that is something that I'm very aware of. That that is a tendency I have. If I'm carrying too much extra fat, I'm going to have problems with my blood sugar. The fasting has has erased all of that in a, in a pretty powerful way. My last A1C reading was a four point 
something, 4.7. I mean, it, it, wow. it's so normal that it doesn't even register on the poster that the, the doctor has on his wall. And, you know, and, and I hit express frustration sometimes like, okay, I'm as, as non-diabetic as you can get in terms of my, my blood sugar readings and all of that. Uh, and yet that label still applies to some degree by the medical establishment. Uh, so they're still, you're like, your doctor still considers you diabetic because you had been diagnosed as diabetic? Well, it's, it's in the chart. And in terms of like insurance, you know, uh, questions, like if I was applying for life insurance or whatever, technically I am still diabetic because I had those high blood sugar readings. But I, I know that I am not in any practical way, you know. You see, and I would actually say, you know, Dr. Jason Fung, who wrote the Obesity Code and the Diabetes Code, he would say you have reversed it. You know, yeah. some people, you know, the conventional wisdom is that diabetes, type 2 diabetes is progressive and it only gets worse and it's impossible to reverse it. But, you know, I'm not a medical doctor. Dr. Jason Fung is. He claims he's reversing it. And I would say if your A1C is 4.7 I've done it. I would I would yeah. get some white out. You know that Seinfeld episode where Elaine asks the doctor to erase her chart and he pretends like he's erasing yes. it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you need to have them erase that out of your chart. Like no that. longer diabetic. I don't consider myself to be diabetic. I do know that if, you know, I decided I'm gonna eat all day and I and I gained back a lot of fat, I I would have issues with that. I, I believe oh, that yeah. to be true. But I don't think I'm ever gonna have problems with my blood sugar again. And, no, I don't and either. So that that's a done deal for me. And I also have a, an arthritic condition, like an autoimmune condition called enclosing spondylitis, which at various phases of my life has caused quite a bit of chronic pain. I was on uh, anti-inflammatories for that for quite a, quite a few years. After I started fasting, I just started to realize I was missing the meds because I had to take them later in the day because you have to take it with food. So I, w- I would take that med when I opened my window and I just forgot more often later in the day. And I started to recognize that I was getting no rebound pain. I could miss it for days and, wow. and not notice. And, I, and it started to get to a point where it was like, I had to, I had to ask the pharmacy, stop auto-filling that. I'm backing up. I have way too many of these, these pills to take. And so I finally, That's did, powerful. yeah. And I finally just decided I'm going to stop taking them and see what happens. And so I, I stopped taking them. And I did talk to my doctor about that when I, when I saw him and he said, if you feel fine, you should, you should just stop. So I have been off those and I'm having nothing, no, no pain. Wow. Yeah. See, that's amazing. Now we are really like coming up to the end of our time, which I'm so sad about. I always am sad when it ends, but let's say in one minute or less, (laughs) what would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting that you, you think they should know? I would say, believe in it believe in it and do it and just live your life while you're doing it. And all the things you've wanted to happen with all the crazy diets you've tried before will happen. And it will happen while you're living life and enjoying what you're doing and enjoying your food. And you don't have to be crazy about it anymore. Just believe it. Uh, Yep. Kind of like trust the process. We hear a lot of people say that. Trust the process. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, Ryan, I have really enjoyed talking to you, and I know that our our listeners will too. And tell them one more time about your book and where they can find it. Uh, The book is called Unbelievable Freedom, How We Transformed Our Health and Happiness with Intermittent Fasting, and it's available on Amazon. Fabulous. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Ryan, and I will see you around. Okay. Thank you so much, Jim. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. 
That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.